The Daily Rios, for Tuesday, March 26th, 2013. It's time to drop another Tower episode, this time the first Tower episode, from September 10th, 2009, titled Where Nightmares Begin. In this episode, you'll hear a breakdown of the seven original members, a breakdown of some of the creative team, and I look at the 16-page preview that kicked off the new Teen Titans, featured in DC Comics Presents 26. After that, I give uh, a little bit of feedback from the Zero episode. I talk about what else was going on at the time of the DC Comics Presents 16-page previews for uh, New Teen Titans. So all of that, you have to just keep in mind that this was recorded in 2009, so everything relates to that time and what was going on in comics at that time as well. It is also unedited, as I said before. In terms of keeping in stuff such as the old CGS forum mention, old phone numbers, emails, etc. So nothing has been deleted. I just decided to throw it up there uh, to um, keep it you know, consistent and not have to do too much work. Uh, if you do want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at peter at com, or you can leave a comment on the website, and that is something that Chris Bailey actually did for the first rebroadcasting that I did last week of the Tower Episode Zero, and he wrote, I remember buying New Teen Titans number 1 off the spinner rack at a convenience store. The cover always blew me away. I was a Batman fan for the first couple of years. I collected comics, and Batman and Robin were my favorite heroes. To see Robin leading his own team hooked me. I scanned that book cover to cover, and for the first time, art really made an impact on me. I didn't know who drew that book, but this was the look I wanted for my comics. George Perez made this book and made these heroes look amazing. I bought Teen Titans whenever I could. I loved Cyborg as a kid, and as I was hooked on robots and sci-fi at the time, and Perez killed it every time he drew him. Love the job you did on these episodes, and would love to see The Tower as a bi-weekly show on The Daily Rios. And um, that's kind of what I want to do once I get all these older episodes out of the way. Um, you know, put out some kind of schedule for The Tower whenever I get to the new episodes. So here you go from September 2009. This is The Tower, Episode 1. Comic Geek Speak presents The Tower, Episode 1. Where Nightmares Begin. What is the Tower? Who are the new Teen Titans? Which creative team is most responsible? Where to begin? And why, oh, why, oh, why? All this and more on today's episode of The Tower. Welcome to The Tower. I'm your host, Peter Rios. New Teen Titans! First episode. For those of you who have yet to listen to the website-exclusive episode that acted as an introduction, please do so, because that'll give you all the rundown and all the history and all the inspiration and all the background origin story on what exactly is the tower. 
The very quick answer, the very specific answer is this is a Titans podcast where I'm going to be taking a look specifically at the new Teen Titans era that started in 1980. The Tower podcast will go on to focus on other eras of the Titans, as well as anything else that um, I feel like rambling about. You can find the introduction episode on the CGS website, comicgeekspeak.com. And I wanted to just take a quick moment to thank everybody for the feedback that they left on the talkback thread. I really appreciate it. At the end of this episode, I'll actually be going through some of that feedback, giving a few shout-outs that I missed on that introduction episode, and responding to some of the questions. First off, I have to give a big thanks to Derek Coward, who composed the music at the top of this episode. That music was originally used for DC Noise episodes 1 through 3, which I hosted, and he so graciously allowed me to use that for this podcast. I may not stick with it. Uh, I may either try to come up with something myself or or perhaps commission someone to come up with something that I think is a little more Titans-esque, but this will do for now. And uh, so thank you, Derek, of the Comic Book Noise podcast and the Deliberate Noise Network for providing that for me. So let's jump right in here. Who are the new Teen Titans? Here come the Teen Titans, a quartet of towering talents. Kid Flash, whose speed defies the eye to follow. Wonder Girl, swift and powerful super lass. Speedy, whose fantastic arrows perform awesome feats. Aqualad, bold and daring marine marvel. Fabulous foursome for right against might. The Teen Titans. Oh, Ted Knight, if that's you. How I love that you say Aqualad and Aquaman. And did anybody wonder why in that Teen Titans 67 filmation cartoon they got the colors wrong on Kid Flash? I never understood that. Well, those are the Teen Titans that they described there. But who are the new Teen Titans? I wanted to give an introduction to the original seven new Teen Titans members as a way for anybody out there that is not familiar with the group to sort of become familiar with them. (laughs) I'm going to be saying their names a lot, and uh, I don't always say their code names. So if I say their real names, their secret identities, some people might get confused. So I thought, let's, um, let's just do a real quick introduction of what's known as the seven original members of the New Teen, New Teen Titans. In the introduction episode, I actually ranked them. I ranked them in order of my least favorite to favorite. And by least favorite, I don't mean, you know, that I hated them. I just didn't latch on to them in ways that I did for the ones that were my most favorite. So... Uh, That ranking went like this. Um, There were seven members, so from seven to one, I went Cyborg at seven, Changeling at six. The next three are sort of interchangeable, but I put it as Kid Flash, number five, Starfire, number four, Raven, number three, Wonder Girl, number two, and Robin as number one. All right, so number one, Robin. All right, who doesn't know Robin, right? Come on. Uh, Robin is Richard Grayson. He goes by the nickname of Dick, Dick Grayson. You'll hear me call him Dick Grayson a lot. I'm a, a much more, much bigger fan of Dick Grayson than I am of the character Robin. And I know that sounds kind of weird to say, but 
um, as we go through these issues of the New Teen Titans, you'll understand why I, I became a fan of the, of the secret identity of the man behind the mask rather than the mask himself. I'm getting all this information from the who's who, the uh, definitive directory of the DC Universe. So if anything's wrong, blame them. As Robin, he first appeared in Detective Comics 38 in the year 1940. He would eventually become known as Nightwing, and his Nightwing's first appearance is Tales of the Teen Titans 43 in the third chapter of what is known as the classic Judas Contract story for the new Teen Titans, and we'll be discussing that down the road. Richard was part of the what's known as the Flying Graysons with his parents. They were a trapeze act in the Haley Circus. He lost his parents in a uh, mob-related accident and soon would become adopted by uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne. Adopted as his ward. It would be actually years, years later um, that he would actually adopt him officially as his son. Dick Grayson is a natural acrobat and became quite the detective, uh, quite the hand-to-hand combatant, and in many instances should be second only to Batman, although writers play it fast and loose with that. He is, however, a natural leader. There are stories later on in the New Teen Titans run where he is actually considered a better leader than Batman. Dick Grayson was also one of the founding members of the Teen Titans that came years before the New Teen Titans, which was a group of youths, group of sidekicks that joined together, including, like you heard in that clip, Speedy, Aqualad, Kid Flash, and Wonder Girl. Eventually, I'll dig into some of Marv Wolfman's notes on a later podcast about why he chose certain characters and why he specifically chose Dick Grayson. So um, that'll be in another, another episode, however. Dick Grayson has no powers whatsoever. He is just like Batman. He's just highly trained um, so, and he is considered the leader of the New Teen Titans. Next up, we have Wonder Girl, Donna Troy. Her first appearance, Brave and the Bold 60. As part of Wonder Woman's continuity, any story that featured Wonder Girl was actually Wonder Woman as a teen. And it wasn't until the idea came about to combine the sidekicks into a group known as the Teen Titans that they actually included a Wonder Girl. However, however, she wasn't Wonder Woman anymore. She was this character called Donna Troy. That crazy, insane history can be found in one of our CGS footnotes episodes that I did on Donna Troy, sort of explain all that. But for our purposes, she was a member of the Teen Titans group. She was a founding member of the new Teen Titans, often considered the second leader. She would actually become leader of the group later in the run when uh, Dick Grayson would take a leave of absence. Her sister is Wonder Woman, so she has power similar to those of Wonder Woman, including her strength, her speed, a lasso, bracelets that she wears to repel bullets, and she can fly. In terms of her relation to the other members of this group, she is best friends with Dick, and she dated Speedy in the original Teen Titans series. And I'm not sure if she ever dated Kid Flash, but it's one of those where pretty much everybody in that group was sort of in love with her. 
had a teen crush on her. So she's very, very close to Robin and Kid Flash, and she'll become super close to Starfire in this series. Next up, we have Kid Flash. He'll round out the three characters in this series that were also on the original team of the Teen Titans. First appearance, Flash 110. His name is Wally West. His actual name is Wallace West, but he goes by Wally in this series. He's the sidekick to The Flash, Barry Allen, and uh, who is also his uncle. And at this point early on in the Titans' history, he is uh, about as fast as The Flash is. And part of his story throughout this run will be his powers, will be what happens when a youth uh, grows up with these powers and what does that do to their body and so forth. Before there ever was an impulse, Kid Flash could be looked at as sort of the sort of the hothead of the group, maybe. Not 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 to the fullest extent, but he definitely was opinionated and headstrong, and that would uh, get him into trouble every now and then. All right, and then we have the four new characters. Actually, three new characters and one slightly revamped character. We start with Cyborg, Victor Stone, whose first appearance was in DC Comics Presents number 26, which we'll be taking a look at later on this episode. We don't, obviously we don't know his origin story at this point. We just know that he's half man, half machine. His father is Silas Stone, who will meet a research scientist at Star Labs. Star Labs being a scientific and technological advanced research. It's basically the DC's think tank group. Star Labs was frequently seen in the late 70s and throughout the 80s. Not so much in the 90s, maybe. Um... But they, they, they've started to pop up here and there in the 2000s. So Victor Stone, um, they usually call him Vic. He is very strong. He can jump great distances. He has body armor. He has um, a false eye that he can use for various things. He has a finger laser. He has sonic disruptors. He has a white noise amplifier, which was used a lot, which was pretty cool. Um, and uh, throughout the series, he'll get uh, other sort of advancements and um, weapons. His sidekick, not necessarily a sidekick, but his best friend and his bosom buddy is the Changeling, who went by Beast Boy in the old Doom Patrol series, the old Teen Titans series. Beast Boy was a member of Titans West, which was a spinoff of the, the youthful Teen Titans team. And... I assume Wolfman brought him in for the humor of for this group, uh, also for his powers, also for, since he was the youngest member at this point, the youngest member of this group. His adopted dad is Steve Dayton, who goes by Mento, who is a member of the old Duke Control. His adopted mother is Elastigirl, Rita Farr, who is also a member of that doomed Doom Patrol. He has green skin, can change into any animal. He is 16 years old. He's a wise-cracking comedian. He has a huge ego, and he is just uh, just a lot of fun. So him and Vic, uh, his name is Garfield Logan. His first appearance was Doom Patrol 99. Gar and Vic, uh, or as Vic likes to call Gar, Salad Head every now and then because he has green hair. They are um, really just uh, you know great friends, and their relationship is very interesting to watch. We then come to Starfire, Coriander, or as she's known on Earth, Cory Anders, or just Cory. 
Her first appearance, DC Comics Presents 26. She is, according to Who's Who, 6'4". She's tall. She's huge in more ways than one. She's from the planet Tamaran in the Vega system. And if Vega sounds familiar, that that system is being uh, looked at right now during the Blackest Night event and during Green Lantern. There's a homeworld called Okara, and I believe that's where the Orange Lantern is being held up. So she is from the Vega system. Uh, pretty sure that was created by Marv Wolfman. The Vega system was home to the Omega Men, and Starfire does have ties to them, and we'll see them in, later on in this series. She was created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez, as was uh, Cyborg. And her ability is to fly. She can absorb energy. She can absorb language through contact. She has destructive star bolts, and she's an incredibly skilled warrior. She's also a princess on her home world. We'll get into her origin later. And um, she's quite uh, the emotional creature. She lives basically off of her emotions. And finally, Raven, who at this point had no alter ego, no other name. Her mother is Arella. She is from the other dimensional world of Azeroth, where there's a society that... uh, um, honors the goddess Azar, and they're basically uh, they're pacifists. Um, her father is the demon known as Trigon, and because of this, her mother is actually uh, from Earth, but because of this strange coupling between her mother and her father, Raven is, is conflicted. She has uh, um, both good and evil inside of her, and she will be Not only is she the reason why the team forms, but she will be the catalyst for many, many, many stories revolving around her, her mother, I mean her, her father, and her mother, and uh, just has some great, great storytelling um, potential. She can teleport. They often call her a witch. She is an empath who can sense pain and disease. She can release what's called her soul self, which is like a, which is a bird-like image that is released through her body and and can act uh, in various ways and do certain things. She is able to heal people, which is uh, sort of painful to her. Uh, We'll we'll see some other abilities that she has. She's very soft-spoken, very... um, The Who's Who entry has her at at 5'11". That seems a little tall, but she's just very introverted... Um, in one article I read about, uh, Paris talked about her costume design, you know, it wasn't meant for battle. It was just sort of meant to hide her and hide her, her, her physical form. And, and, um, we'll talk about all that as the series progresses. So there you go. Those are the seven members, uh, of the new teen Titans. And, uh, next up, let's talk a little bit about the creative team. Hi, this is George Perez, and welcome to georgeperez.com. I hope you enjoy the ride. Hear that world? From the man himself, his name is pronounced George Perez. Not George Perez. George Perez. Accent on the first E. That website that he mentioned doesn't exist, but I just thought it was a pretty cool YouTube clip that I found. So I thought, why not, why not play that? So the creative team that we're going to be introduced to in this issue that we're looking at, DC Comics Presents, 
issue 26, goes uh, like this. Marv Wolfman is the writer. Uh, it's listed as George Perez and Dick Giordano as the illustrators. We have Ben Oda as letterer, Adrian Roy as colorist, and Len Wein as editor. Marv Wolfman and George Perez are credited as the creators of the new Teen Titans. Uh, Dick Giordano would be replaced. I, I assume that Dick Giordano was a finisher uh, or an anchor over Perez at this time. But he'll be replaced on the ongoing series with uh, Romeo Tangle, who would uh, go on to be George's inker on the New Teen Titans series for a long time, uh, unless George inked himself. Um, Adrian Roy was a longtime colorist for the Titans. Len Wein was uh, one of the—it was Marv and Len that sort of came over from Marvel to DC, and when they batted around certain uh, pitches that they wanted to—, to um, bring up to Dick they the, and, and Jeanette Kahn, the, the, one of the pitches was a, a new revamped Titan series. And at the time, uh, Jeanette and Dick and company, they were all were like, mm, well, the last one sort of was, mm, you know, not so good, but, you know, what can you do? And they just basically said, well, we're going to do it better. And, um, you know, what started off um, uh, pretty much as an unknown quantity became better, became a lot better. And, would go on to become a mega hit for DC. So this is the creative team. We're going to talk about them, do some profiles on them in later podcasts, um, learn about where they came from, what their approach was to this comic. Uh, Perez, when he came over to DC, his heart was really into doing the Justice League of America and not the Titans. He thought this was going to be a flash in the pan, that he would be on for maybe six, eight issues, and that was it. And, you know, turned out to be that this would be the thing that he would be most known for. There are a bunch of articles that Marv Wolfman wrote, uh, especially on his on his website, marvwolfman.com, where he talks about uh, the origins of the New Teen Titans, of why he chose certain characters, of some of the things he wanted to show, some of their weapons, their headquarters, what kind of villains that they would fight. He really got into these characters before the, anything even happened. And, you know, that, that's something that you'll be able to tell as we go on through these through these issues, that Marv had a passion, and then you bring in George. George had a passion. The two of them had an incredible passion. Um, Len Wein was the editor, and, at, you know, some point down the road, he would just stop um, becoming editor. Marv would actually edit the book himself, and that was sort of very rare, and he, he had such control. Um, Marv and... George would be listed as co-creators and co-writers and co-plotters. And it really was a collaboration, unlike um, um, anything that was going on at DC at the time that I can think of. Uh, and uh, we've, seen, we've seen things before that. We've seen things after that. But, you know, this was uh, like, like Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen on Legion, um, Marv Wolfman and Perez on New Teen Titans was just an unstoppable force. So we'll get to learn a little bit more about the creative team in later episodes. So where to begin? Where to begin with the new Teen Titans? Everybody thinks new Teen Titans number one, right? Cover date November 1980. That's where we need to begin, right? Wrong. DC at this time in the late 70s or, uh, yeah, it was sort of like the, uh, the early 80s, I should say. They did this program called 16-page uh, previews. Uh, they, they they said it was like here it says bonus introducing the new Teen Titans in a special free 16 page comic. This is from DC Comics Presents issue 26. What these were 
These were um, new stories. It was completely new material, and they were exactly like they said. They were like little previews of, of an ongoing, upcoming ongoing series, and they were fascinating. They didn't make the book any more expensive. The, you know, this issue of DC Comics was 50 cents in 1980. It, it didn't jump up an extra quarter or anything. These weren't reprints. These also weren't, you know, six-page previews that you would then also then find, like, in the first issue. These were completely new material. Um, in the case of of the, the New Teen Titans that we're going to look at, this is sort of like a prologue story to issue one. Other previews, 16-page previews um, that, and I was a big fan of these. I loved these. These were like getting something more and different and, and new, and they really worked to hook me in. Um, the the one that I can remember coming across uh, um, as I was reading comics off the off the rack was uh, from Firestorm issue twenty four, June nineteen eighty four. It had a sixteen page preview of the new upcoming Blue Devil series, and it was silly and it was fun. But it it, it just I was like, what? Oh, this is awesome! I got to check it out. And usually, what they would do is. Um, they would have like a new cover for for the preview itself, and then there would be about fourteen pages of story. And then at the end of that, they would show the cover to issue one. And uh, just by doing that, I just knew what to look for. It, it created excitement, uh, along with Blue Devil and Firestorm. The other ones were, as I mentioned, New Teen Titans and DC Comics presents twenty six. Then we had uh, Dial H for Hero had a sixteen page preview in. Legion of Superheroes 272, cover date February of 1981. I assume that probably was for um, the upcoming their upcoming run in Adventure. So that was Dial H for Hero. Then we would have, and yes, that was my phone going off. Um, then we would have Arik. Uh, that was in Son of Thunder. That was in Warlord 48. And that was cover date of August 1981. We then would go, let's see, um, All-Star Squadron had a 16-page preview in Justice League of America 193, August of 1981. And um, see, we had Wonder Woman. She had a preview, 16-page preview in DC Comics Presents 41, cover date January of 82. Now, obviously, she had an ongoing series already, but what they were doing was sort of revitalizing her... Um, Revitalizing her book a little bit, so they wanted to create a new, new sort of buzz to it. This, this may be when she got her updated costume, where it no longer was an eagle; instead, it was a W on her breastplate. I'm not sure about that, but so she got a 16-page preview. Um, we would go to then to Captain Carrot would have a preview in New Teen Titans issue 16 for their series. Also in New Teen Titans, New Teen Titans 21 would be the preview for Night Force, July 1982. Obviously, that was written by Marv Wolfman, so that sort of makes sense. In Batman, uh, Brave and the Bull 200, we had the preview for Batman and the Outsiders. It's cover date of July 1983. And, uh, and Brave and the Bull basically ended, and then Batman and the Outsiders began. Um, that was with Jim Aparo on the artwork there. Uh, cover date of April 83 in Legion of Superheroes 298, we had Amethyst. Amethyst, which was a mini uh, maxi series, actually got a preview. And that was sort of interesting because that story takes place before uh, – that story takes place takes place after the events of issue one. So it's kind of this really just sort of interesting way that they told that story. 
Um, did I miss any? Uh, um, there is one in DC, in DC Comics Presents issue 53, cover date of January 83 for Atari Force. It was actually for a preview for the mini comics that would come out with some Atari games. And then eventually there would be an Atari Force series from DC. But the preview was more about the parents and the older group of Atari Force members um, that would then show show up in the Atari Force series, which would be focused more on their kids or a later generation. So I think that was it. There might be other ones out there that I might have missed, but those are the ones that uh, I know of. And as I said, they're all brand new material, so they're well worth seeking out. If you're a fan of All-Star Squadron and you don't have the preview, get the preview in, J- in JLA 193. It's really worth your time. So with that, let's take a look at... DC Comics presents issue 26. The main feature is a story between Superman and Green Lantern, scripted by Marv Wolfman, curiously enough, with plot and pencils by Jim Starlin, inks by Steve Mitchell, letters by Ben Oda, colors by Jerry Serpy, and the editor was Julius Schwartz. But if you go into the book, deeper into the book, uh, on page 13, it says, story continues after special insert. And that special in- insert is... A special Teen Titans preview where it says, Watch out, world. Here comes the new Teen Titans. The most sensational superstars of all are back in all new action. A special free gift to you from the new DC where nightmares begin. And the little inside cover image is of uh, the seven characters fighting some kind of blob on top of a building. And at this point, if you're semi-new to the DC Universe, or if, even if you are a fan of the DC Universe, you'll recognize Kid Flash and Robin and Wonder Girl. Maybe you'll recognize Beast Boy. But those other three characters, you're like, hmm, I have no idea who they are. The story starts off in New York, uh, outside of a Star Labs building that has been hijacked. And Robin is standing there with the police and and uh, the police are telling him that a scientist is being cap- is being held hostage for his new solar reactor solar reactor so you know robin being an established hero says you know give me give me some time i'll go up and and i'll i'll rescue the scientist and they said all right uh, we'll we'll let you go but as he runs towards the building he sort of collapses now uh first off a couple of things here this is the story is told not in gotham but in New York, and that was rare at the time for DC to, to establish their books in a real city. Most of the times it's fictional. Uh, Superman was in Metropolis. Even though they would use sort of like New York as its basis artistically, it was called Metropolis. I think there even was like um, they would have images of the Twin Towers in there, and um, it, but it still was Metropolis. So here we are in New York City. Marv Wolfman wanted, I assume, wanted to set this in a very real-world environment. And uh, I think right off the bat, that's kind of very interesting. And uh, could that be some of his spillover from the Marvel Universe? Sure. Most of the Marvel Universe takes place in the New York, New York Air, uh, in New York City. So maybe that's what he wanted to do here. So Dick Grayson runs to the building, and he sort of faints and passes out. And when he wakes up, he's greeted by Wonder Girl. And she's saying, hey, stop fooling around, Rob. We'll be late for the Titans meeting. Oh, God. Stop fooling around, Rob. You know, here's hoping that they, here's hoping Wolfman quickly gets rid of some of that lingo. It seems some of like some of that catchy lingo from the old new uh, Teen Titans days. So when he wakes up and he sees Wonder Girl, he's standing outside of this gleaming tower called the Titans Tower. And he's like, where did everything go? Where's New York? Where's Star Labs? 
And she's like, hey, the day you don't recognize Titan's Tower, um, you know, is the day that you're pretty kooky. So he hasn't heard of this, and he's having these visions, and he goes into the tower, and there on the second page, he's walks into the main meeting era area of the Titans headquarters. And this is why Perez, this is why this podcast is not only going to be a Titans podcast, but it probably will also become a Perez podcast as well. So he creates this meeting place, this meeting room. And when you see it here on page two, it doesn't change much from later issues. I mean, he really went in and sort of said, okay, if this is what this meeting room is going to look like, then I'm going to establish something and it's going to be this way always. There's a T-shaped meeting table. There are chairs around the table and each chair on the side of it has a symbol for the character, R for Robin, W for Wonder Girl, and you'll see other symbols for the other characters. Um, in the distance, there's a, a spiral staircase that leads to another floor, another part of the building. And along the one far wall are these pictures. And they are pictures of the the members of the Titans, Robin, uh, over here, right now, the ones you see are Robin, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, and Changeling, right? Those are the four that probably would be most recognizable by anybody who read the Titan series before this. When you see those images later, you'll see sort of, uh, Paris sort of creates definitive poses for each of these pictures, and that will be cemented later. And not only will he create these poses, but he'll also put them in alphabetical order, which uh, I'll talk about um um, he does that quite a lot. Whenever he does anything that's sort of like a list or or a run of faces or something, he, he likes to put them in alphabetical order, which is kind of cool. So hanging from one of the metallic tubes or whatever it is, conduits, is this green monkey. And Robin recognizes him, calls him Beast Boy. And he says, Beast Boy, you burn out your brains? You know I'm now called the Changeling. And then in comes Cyborg. And then in comes Starfire. And then... Kid Flash and Robin's head is just, he continues to be just spun wildly. And uh, Perez does these these panels where it's just Robin's face between um, each row of panels. And uh, you can just see him sort of like looking one way and then looking the other and looking another way. And uh, just to add to his confusion, he says at the end here, something must be wrong with me. It's as if I've blacked out part of my life. And then in comes Raven and she's going to explain it all. She's going to say, danger lurks in the city of men, brought here by one of your own, a man who, in seeking a dream, found a nightmare instead. So she's filling, as she's speaking, her powers are sort of creating these images in um, in the Titans' minds. And you see this man, this black man, looking at a, uh, through a dimensional viewer, and he's looking at this protoplasmic thing. And because the protoplasmic thing has intelligence, it comes and through some weird pseudo-wacky science that Marvel Wolfman creates, even though these, this image is, gal- is just galaxies away, it, like, comes through the viewer at this man and, like, attacks him here on Earth. So it's, like, you know, wacky science, but, you know, these are comic books, whatever. They, of course, want to go and, and fight it because uh, for this protoplasmic thing to survive on Earth, it's got to change the atmosphere from oxygen to methane, as all aliens like to do since War of the Worlds. Everybody's got to mess with our air. They can't let us breathe. They got to, you know, come in and mess everything up. So Changeling, <laughs> very humorously, uh, starts to say, hey, uh, you know, we're not going to leave, not before I give the Titans a rallying cry. 
And one of them he says is up, up, and he goes, nah, soups would have our highs. And he says, how about Titans Assemble? And he says, nope, that's been used. And he's like, all right, forget it. We'll come up with them on later. In the meantime, Titans let her rip. Obviously, that's not the battle cry of the Titans. We'll find out what that is later. Uh, Perez does these panels, these four panels of changeling, changing. He starts off as a monkey. He becomes himself. He's himself in the third panel, and then he becomes this, like, uh, vulture. Um, uh, Perez likes to play around with, like, the, the visual language of um, Garfield Logan's uh, abilities. So that's kind of cool. Right away, though, he's he's got Raven down in these early issues. The way she puffs in with this big cloud of smoke, ebony smoke, um, um, her soul self. Uh, although her soul self in this in this uh, image, in this 16-page preview, has legs. So it's sort of bird-like, but it has legs. Um, I think he'll change that later on so that it's just like this big, giant bird image. But you can see on page 6, down at the bottom, um, when she's calling forth her soul self and she lifts up her cape um, with the way her hood is and the cape is and the dress that she wears under the cloak... It, it, you know, just that image alone also sort of forms this very bird-like image. So he's already starting to mess visually with that. So they all rush to back to New York where Robin originally was, and they see this protoplasmic being on top of the building, and it's growing large, and it's going to eat everything in its path. And Raven goes to... Um, starts to battle it. She, like, sends off her soul self, and... And she, like, sends a beam out towards it, like a force bolt. And, and when I saw that, I went, well, that's not Raven's power. So that must, that must be an early sort of thing that they'll drop later. She starts to get enveloped by this creature, and Kid Flash freaks out. And uh, he's like, oh, no. And he's, like, rushing to her. He's like, what is it, Raven? Are you all right? Um, I don't know how, but so help me, Raven. One way or another, I will save you or die in the trying. So he, this is Marv Wolfman sort of establishing that, in this series, uh, Kid Flash will have an um, an attraction to Raven, uh, very unrequited. Um, uh, it's 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 very interesting, and it plays out in a in the later New Teen Titans Baxter series, the Volume Two series of the New Teen Titans, in a very grim and dark way. But um, so there already, Wolfman is playing around with some of the characterizations and interactions. Just like uh, I missed one, but early on when. Um, when Cyborg is first introduced, Changeling like automatically just jumps right on him and hangs out on his shoulder. And uh, um, he even calls, he even says to Robin, what's with you, Bat Boy? Your short's too tight or something? And, and that's something that'll play out a, a joke among the Titans. They'll constantly call Robin short pants because he's in those little green Speedos and the little elf boots. Um and uh, that'll be one of the reasons why his Nightwing costume is a full sort of costume as well, where his pants and all that. So they they go off to fight this creature, and Robin, as he's run, running up the steps in the building, he blacks out again and finds himself back in New York with the cops. No protoplasm creature, no titans, no anything. And one of the cops is like, whoa, 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 be careful, you almost got hit by a bullet. And uh, he's he's all back to reality, and he's back to reality on hand, which is just that these terrorists are holding this scientist captive. So he uh, uses this thing called a rocket grappler that fires a hook all the way up to the top of the Star Labs building up on the roof. And it's funny because, you know, 
he didn't get this out of his utility belt because it's huge. So I assume, I don't know, maybe in the first panel, did we see his motorcycle? No, I don't see, even see his motorcycle. So where he got that from is kind of, um, you know, I don't know, kind of a little bit of a, you know, plot hole there. <laughs> but uh, you have to assume that he has his motorcycle somewhere. So maybe it was stashed in his in his Robin cycle. So he climbs up the side of the building, and he passes out again, and he's face-to-face with the creature, and all of a sudden the Titans are back, and they're all getting defeated. Wonder Girl's trying to use her lasso. That doesn't work. Changeling, Changeling becomes a bear, and uh, the, the protoplasm creature is like actually turning him back. And then we get to see what Cyborg does, and he attaches this, uh, this cord to his eye, and he shoves his hand into his... Uh, uh, into the creature, and he says, "Okay, as I, I'll plug these transponder, transponders into my robot shell, and uh, uh, and then I'm going to tap into my internal power supply and shoot a zillion decibels of white sound right through it. And this is one of his main weapons, where he like transforms. He adds like an attachment to his hand, and it goes from like his eye to his belt to the hand, and you know it's very modular, very very awesome." So when he does this, the creature actually disappears and Kid Flash is rushing back to Raven and he says, oh my God, if her soul self doesn't return to her in time, God only knows what will happen to her body. And that's something we'll find out later. So they figure they better look for this creature and so they decide to go to Star Labs where Dick Grayson is sort of like where he is in reality. And something about going to Star Labs it starts to really get on Cyborg's nerves. He's like, you know what? Uh, something told me it would be this lab. You better count me out. I'm cutting out of here as of right now. But he gets knocked out by the protoplasmic being. And they meet a man called Silas. We call him Professor. And he's the reason why this creature is here. And the only way to defeat this creature is if they seal the room, draw out the oxygen, and then prevent the creature from creating methane and send it back to his dimension. And the only one who can do that is Starfire, because as she says here, I don't need oxygen to breathe. So that should mean she should be able to fly unaided through space um, if she doesn't need oxygen to breathe. So I'll have to take a look and see if that's the case in later issues. So she manages to send the creature back, and he's uh, the, the professor is all thankful, and but Cyborg just, just lays into him. He says, you're always fouling up, old man destroying everything you've ever touched. You screwed up this experiment, screwed up when you built this blasted cyborg suit I wear. You should have left me the way I was. At least I'd be dead by now instead of trapped inside this mechanical body. I never want to see you again, old man. Never again. And the professor admits, heaven help me, lad, but he's my son. And then Robin gets zapped back to um, Star Labs with just the cops without the Titans. And they said, hey, you know, while you were kind of zonked out, you said something about the air. So we, we took out all the air in the building and they surrendered. <clears throat> and they said that, and they say that they, the, the professor wants to, to meet Robin. And when he meets him, there he is, Professor Stone, the man from his dreams, the guy who invented the solar reactor. And uh, uh, Robin's just like, I don't understand. I was having nightmares, but... How could that be if the scientist I met was a man I never met before? How could I see him in my dreams? And he says, you know what? I better go to sleep on this one. And uh, But I'm afraid that when I wake up, I'll be more in the dark than I was before. And then in the shadows is Raven. 
And she says, apparently she can also read mine. She says, no, Raven, no, Robin, very soon, all that you have seen will make sense to you. For this was no dream that you have experienced. The new Teen Titans are no figment of your imagination. Indeed, Robin, they, they exist. They are your future, a future that looms ever and ever closer. And there it is. Quite obviously, it says here, the beginning. And the next page, they show, now that you've sampled the action, get ready for the main event. Main event, the super group that you demanded is back in all new adventures. Superhero Action Supreme, an all new 25-page blockbuster by Marv Wolfman and George Perez on sale August 14th, 1980. DC, where the action keeps on coming. So there it is. Um, we'll find out in issue one that pretty much the, the this whole idea of Robin being in the Titans and all the Titans coming together really was Raven's um, uh, mental suggestions. We'll even get stories later on, years later, in the Legion uh, Legends of the DC Universe anthology series that show you know that Raven just sort of manipulated events so that she could get certain members of the Titans universe together, uh, really in an effort to fight her father. Uh, but that won't play out for a couple issues. So there's the 16-page preview. It's interesting to see Perez's artwork in this very formative stage. Characters are a lot softer. Um, the the Obviously, the visual the visual language of their faces and their bodies, he's still sort of figuring out. He has very specific ways of drawing each character, the way they stand, the way they fight, the way they fly, the way they jump. Um, Like in the scene where they first rush out of the Titan's Tower, Starfire is holding Robin since he can't fly. Uh, Kid Flash is running along the water. You know, that's a, that's a a group shot that he'll use different ways. Um, he has a couple what what they call the worm's eye view shot. It's where you're like looking up from the ground up towards their face and their chin, and you can see their nose. And there are a lot of artists that use that. Um, Gil Kane used that a lot as well. But that's an interesting, very, very, you know, very um, Perez thing to do. Um, using Silas, using Cyborg's father is certainly something that Wolfman plays on a lot in terms of family. He A lot of the stories that come out of the Titans universe all revolve around somebody's family member, whether it's Trigon, uh, it's Raven and her father Trigon, Cyborg and his dad, Starfire and her family, Changeling and his dad. Um, you're, you'll see a lot of that go on. And, and uh, because these are young characters, you know, nobody at this point is older than... Uh, probably 19. I think Cyborg is probably the oldest by, of, of of the bunch, and Changeling is the youngest. Um, because of that, because of their sidekick status and because of their youth, you're going to see a lot of generational things, a lot of generational conflicts, uh, sometimes even with the Justice League of America. Um, so that was something Marv Wolfman really wanted to play with and probably why it speaks to a lot of people who read this at that time. So that's um, DC Comics Presents. That is the preview. Um, I don't know. It'd be kind of interesting to hear from people who maybe got this issue and went, whoa, what's this? A, a Titans? New Titans book? Wow. Um, did they like the new characters? Did they think they they were cool? Did they want to learn more about them? Um, obviously, I'm reading all this in hindsight. You know, my first New Teen Titans book was New Teen Titans 28. So I didn't read this until years later, um, years after it was produced. You know, the villain is certainly not interesting, this protoplasmic creature, you know, wah-wah. But 
you know, were the elements there to sort of get people interested? Um, or maybe seeing the cover to issue one that Perez, that they included in the back there. Was that interesting? So be interesting to hear. So please let me know. So what else was going on in comics during this time? So like, as I said, this was cover date of October uh, 1980. So I went to comicbookdb.com, which is a which is a really awesome database for comics, and looked up what other books were coming out at this time, and I picked out a few standouts here. Um, Perez was actually working on a bunch of stuff. He did the cover to Legion of Superheroes 268. I believe that was the first cover he would do, and he would go on to do many more for the Legion at this time. He was uh, on Flash 290 in the backup story. That's right. There was a co-feature in the Flash, just like DC's doing right now with their co-features. Uh, it was a Firestorm co-feature, and it was actually the second story that, uh, I guess, the Firestorm co-feature started in Flash 289. And this is 290, and Perez was the artist on that. Um, over in Marvel, he was the artist on Avengers 200. And Justice League of America, this cover date uh, of October 1980, uh, was up to issue 183, and it was the start of the annual JLA-JSA crossover that featured the New Gods. And the artist was Dick Dillon. However, Dick Dillon would pass away, and Perez would jump on with the very next issue. Also at this time, uh, in other sort of comics, um, Cerebus was up to issue 21 by this point, just only 21. Over in Marvel, Captain America 250 was the Cap for President storyline, Roger Stern, John Byrne. Uh, Thor was up to issue 300. Wonder Woman was getting sort of like a soft sort of reboot, not a reboot, but a, a rejuvenation with issue 272 and her battle with Angleman. And the Uncanny X-Men had just finished the Dark Phoenix saga. So this, with this cover date, it was Uncanny X-Men 138, where Cyclops leaves the team. So there you go. That's just, a, just some things that are going on outside of the Titans universe. All right. So let's close out this episode with just a few more things here. Um, if you haven't been to your comic shop yet and you want to know what other titles the Titans are being featured in currently... This is as uh, as of August 26th. Uh, you can go check out Batman and Robin number three by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. Batman being Dick Grayson, not Bruce Wayne. So if you don't know that, go check out the Batman and Robin series. Go check out all the Batman titles. Batman and Robin, Batman, Detective, um, Red Robin. There's some really interesting things going on in the Bat universe, but especially Batman and Robin, Batman and Detective. Those are the three that I, I really enjoy. To go along with the Blackest Night event, we have Blackest Night Titans, number one of three. There's a $2.99 tie-in book. $2.99, Marvel. You hear that? $2.99. Not $3.99, $2.99. Marvel's uh, DC's big event, and they're keeping the prices down on their tie-in books, which I appreciate. And uh, um, the first, I assume what they're going to do here is, you know, the Titans universe has a lot of dead characters, a lot of sacrifices, a lot of characters who, you know, aren't allowed to age. And from the covers, I see that uh, they're going to bring back a character called Terra, who has a lot of con connections to Changeling and the Titans universe itself, if you don't know who she is. They're also going to bring back uh, Wonder Girl's dead son and dead family, maybe. Um, and the third issue seemed to focus on the female dove, so maybe that's where we'll get 
Hawk and Dove, who both died. And it was shown in one of the Blackest Night issues that Hawk was revised, but for some reason the, the original Dove was not. So maybe this series will take a look at that in later issues. The other sort of mini event is Flash Rebirth number four, and that has brought Barry Allen back to the DC Universe, and wherever Barry goes, Wally is soon to follow. So you can find Wally in that book. There's Last Days of Animal Man number four, which features Animal Man, but also Starfire. Animal Man, Starfire, and Adam Strange uh, had a subplot going throughout the weekly series 52 from a few years back. And this miniseries, written by Jerry Conway, with cover artist Brian Bolin and artwork by Chris Batista, I think, um, features Star, Starfire and Nightwing and also uh, a group called, I think, the League of Titans. <clears throat> I'm not reading it, so I'll have to check that out. In the main Titans universe, we have Teen Titans issue 74. Teen Titans 75 will, will bring on a new writer. Uh, and then Wednesday Comics number 8, which has a one-page Teen Titans page in it, Teen Titans strip. So you can go check that out as well. So I'm sure there might be some other ones, but those are the ones that sort of caught my eye of Titans-related material out August 26. And as promised earlier in the episode, I wanted to get to some of the feedback from the introductory episode. And I'll start it off with uh, a listener of the Comic Geek Speak podcast that I should have thanked in the introductory episode, um, Santi. Um, probably said his name wrong. I always get his name Hassan or Hassan T. Um, <clears throat> he is uh, from the D.C. area. Uh, he's a longtime DC fan, a longtime Teen Titans fan, I should say. And we have very similar reading, um, reading origin stories when it comes to comics. And he says here, Peter, I've been waiting for you to do a Titans focused podcast since you hinted about doing your own spinoff months ago. This is great news. So thank you very much. And, um, we'll be hearing from him, I'm sure on a lot of these episodes, uh, a lot of these feedback threads on the forum. And by the way, if you don't know, you can go to thecomicforums.com, and that's where uh, a lot of these talkback threads will be. There won't be a separate form for the Tower podcast. It'll just be all contained in episode talkback threads, just to keep it nice and consistent. Um, just because I'm the moderator for the Comic Geek Speak forum, and uh, that, that takes up enough time as it is. <laughs> this is from Zog Returns. He says, awesome episode. Thanks for playing my tune, Peter. And if you didn't hear that... Uh, he created a Dick Grayson song that I played at the end of the introductory episode. He also has a podcast called Wednesday Heroes, the superhero rock band at WednesdayHeroes.com. He says the coolest thing about the Titans to me is the fact that they are all outsiders. But unlike the X-Men, they each are outsiders in their own ways. Not only are the characters rich on their own, they blend in interesting ways. I'm looking forward to more of the Tower. And that's an interesting point. Um, certainly Wonder Girl is an outsider because, uh, because she doesn't know her origin at this point. She knows somewhat of her origin that she was rescued in a fire, tenement house fire by Wonder Woman, but, um, that's pretty much it. She doesn't really know who she is. So that's up in the air. Cyborg is an outsider because he's half man, half cyborg, half machine. So he feels alienated from, from people. Um, Raven's an outsider because, because of her, um, dual identity, dual nature of good and evil inside of her because of her mother and father, and because her people are ultimately pacifists, she never really felt that she belonged there. She doesn't really feel she belongs at Earth. She doesn't know if she belongs at the side of her father. Um, 
So that works for her. Starfire is an outsider. She basically practically was exiled from her family. She was sold into slavery so that peace would reign in on her home world. And, and that created certainly a rift with her family. And um, you probably keep going with a lot of the other Titans. So it's an interesting point there. This is from Darkane. He says, awesome. I've been waiting for a Titan-centric cast forever. Um, he says, can't wait to hear you go through the glory years, especially through, and then through the late Arsenal Damage Impulse era to Titans, to John's Teen Titans, Jeff John's current Teen Titans. Uh, I left the 90s Adam Teen Titans out. I like that series, the Dan Jurgen series. That's the one he's talking about. I like that. Um, might this also include Young Justice when it gets to that gets to that period? I don't know about Young Justice. I never really felt that that was a Titans-related book, even though it had certain Titans characters. I'm not sure. I, I may touch on it here and there, but obviously that's way down the road, so I'm not sure how, what I'm going to do with that. This is from Down in a Hole. I'm fairly new to the Teen Titans. My first issue was 51 of the current series, so hopefully this will fill in some of the blanks for me. It is, uh, it is odd that DC... Uh, are not much more aggressive with a trade program collecting the Wolfman Perez run. I've been meaning to hunt down the issues, but my budget is stretched by new comics. An affordable color trade would be much appreciated. DC has archives, I believe four of them, that lead up to around issue 27, I believe. And then from there, they have three uh, soft-covered color trades that round out pretty much up through Judas' contract. The first off-cover trade is Terra Incognito that starts with issue 28, ironically enough, the first issue I started with as well. And that goes to about 32, 33 or so, 34 maybe. And then there's uh, Who is Donna Troy? That's where you can get the Donna Troy issue and some other scattered issues, but that uh, obviously that's not in sequence. So you, after Terra Incognito, you would want to go to Judas' contract. And that'll catch you up all the way through the end of that storyline. Uh, that does have, that should have the Who is Donna Troy story in it, I believe. So, yeah, there's, they, you know, and there also, there is, um, uh, I believe it's called The Terror of Trigon, which collects the first several issues of the Volume 2 New Teen Titans series that is affectionately called The Baxter Run. But um, as far as affordable color color trades, I have no idea what they're waiting for. I don't know why they don't have some kind of DC classic library or something. I don't want to see this in a showcase. I don't want to see it in black and white. I want to see it in color. Maybe they want to go back and restore the color. I don't know. But they need to get off their asses because that this material isn't print hasn't been reprinted in a format that people could go out and get is just silly. It's just silly. All right, Doctor McNutt says I've been waiting for this since you did that Donna Troy footnotes. The Titans are my favorite comic group, and New Teen Titans series is a huge favorite of mine. I remember picking up that issue of DC Comics Presents in a grocery store. Um, I missed the first two issues on the stands, but but I missed the first issue on the stands, but picked up number two. My mom got me issue number one for a birthday present for fifteen dollars a couple years later. So cool, Doctor McNutt. Please tell me what you thought of that preview story if you read that right off the shelf. He says to me. I was 13 or 14 at that time. I would think about Kid Flash running around alongside the school bus, crushing on Donna Troy, where to meet a girl like her. The series did a lot for my imagination. Paris's artwork was developing into his best work. Paris in the Titans Crisis era was some of my favorite stuff. Mine as well. 
Uh, I love the little flourishes like Dick Grayson taking the mask off and loosening up his tunic when he was relaxed in the tower. I really wanted GP to draw life-size drawings of the characters for me like they used in the tower. Uh, what kind of commission would that entail? The first issue of the Baxter run, the first issues of the Baxter run are a nice goodbye to the characters from Perez. Wolfman wrote some of his best comics and the co-plotting worked. I like the other iterations in varying degrees. Nothing has repeated the lightning in a bottle that the 80s run did, in my opinion. And that's sort of why I chose to focus on that era. X the Last Man says, Great episode. Really looking forward to it. I'm especially excited that you'll be somewhat going along an Uncanny X cast format. I love that cast. I haven't really followed the Titans. He started on the Jeff Johns run. But I'm curious about characters such as Don Troy and Wally West and their relationships. I guess I should at least pick up the Judas Contract trade. That is a must read, right? Yeah, the Judas Contract is the classic Titan story. Um, it is it is an amazing. It's pretty much what everything else is based off in the Titans universe in terms of, you know, that's the benchmark. So, yeah, Judas Contract, great story. Go and get it. You don't, you don't need much backstory with it. Just go get it. It's perfect. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. says, I always liked the original Teen Titans, especially Kid Flash. A major highlight was Neil Adams' run, which I must have read in reprint in the Best of DC Digest. I read the new Teen Titans as it was coming out and preferred it to the X-Men, although I read both. I have not read much in the way of Titans since then. The page in Wednesday Comics is not among my favorites of the series, but the recent Raven Mini, Raven Mini was still more hideous. But I've picked up a bunch of Tiny Titans, and I'm digging it, buying some issues twice, one for me and one for my five-year-old nephew who I'm trying to get into comics. Yeah, if you like Tiny Titans, then by all means, go get Teen Titans Go, because that's also a great series as well. And last, Satch TC says, I can't wait for this show to start. I picked up an old Starfire mini recently and loved the Paris art so much, I went out and bought new Teen Titans Archives 1 and 2. Haven't read all of them yet, so this will give me a great reason to bust them open again. Not sure what he means by Starfire miniseries uh, with Paris art. It could be that Tales of the New Teen Titans four-issue origin story when they were on a camping trip. So he could mean that one. I'm pretty sure that did start off with Starfire and then would go on for Cyborg, Raven, and Changeling. So thank you for the feedback. There was many more. There's also some awesome Paris discussion going on there. So uh, let's continue that with this episode and with this talkback thread. So that's basically it for episode one. I have no idea what I'm going to do for episode two. Uh, I'm not going to jump into the first issue just yet. There's some other things I want to do before that. Um, delve into a little more of the character histories, maybe some creator histories, um, maybe some uh, top fives, things like that. Or, or maybe a look at some of the current stuff that's going on that I'm woefully behind on. But uh, by all means, please uh, go to the forum. Go look for the Tower Episode 1 talkback thread on the CGS forum at thecomicforums.com. You can also email me, peter at comicgeekspeak.com, if you have anything you want to say about this episode. By all means, go check out the introductory episode. And um, if you want to give uh, any voicemail... For this podcast and any of the CGS podcasts, or CGS in general, you can go to 215-279-8839. So that's it. The Tower Episode 1. These episodes obviously will get a little more organized as I go on and collect my thoughts. But uh, I just wanted to get through the preview episode for now. And then, um, you know, we'll see where we go from here. All right. I am out of here.